Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey everyone, welcome to God's Whole Story. This is Chelsea, and I'm here today with Chris and Ryan. And we are in a couple different things. Um, Ezekiel, I think, oh, we should have like a moment of honor and silence for Ezekiel and Jeremiah, because I think we finished it today. <laughs> I would like to have a moment of joy and clapping. <laughs> We've been with Ezekiel and Jeremiah for so long, and those poor prophets have done so much. <laughs> oh, man. So we have um, some more things in Ezekiel's vision, and we have some history about Nebuchadnezzar, and... And a prophecy about Egypt. So what's that got to you guys today? So one of the discussions that we were having yesterday is, is this whole vision thing with this temple and these people, like, is it literal? Is it spiritual? Like, how do we make sense of this? Uh, the opening passage here, uh, it starts to, de- it starts to describe like actual geography and like this river coming out. The, the dimensions of the river are kind of interesting. It just gets like deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. I think, am I reading that correctly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it just, yeah. Um, but also it starts to talk about the Dead Sea and Engedi. So just in the stream of like, um, see what I did there in the stream. <laughs> uh-huh. Well done. It's pretty good. Wire. Um, podcast humor. <laughs> <laughs> been in here too long in the stream of like, is this real? Is this spiritual? Um, if you actually knew this area, like the Dead Sea, the, the area surrounding the Dead Sea is dead. There's, there's nothing there. There's definitely not fish in it. There's a lot of tourists in it floating on the top. Cause that's all you can do. <laughs> Um, <laughs> there is like, and kind of like a spring. I think David hid like mm-hmm. in Getty. Um, so there's like some life around in but this is a very desert area. So they probably would have understood the geography a little bit better than what we do having no experience with the area. <laughs> uh, but I do think that they would have heard this and understood it to be miraculous in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's life is very absent from that particular area. Yeah, and I think along with that, as you see uh, some of the imagery here in this, in Ezekiel, we've got water flowing from the temple. Yeah. Uh, and then some of the images is with the f- uh, salty water becoming fresh. You've got uh, abundance. You've got fruit growing, trees on each side of the river. Uh, a new crop every month, which just isn't even possible mm-hmm. for a tree to do that. <laughs> uh, and then even just uh, the idea that the food and the leaves are going to be for healing. We haven't got there yet, but this is almost identical to the imagery we see in Revelation chapter 22. Uh, instead then of a temple, the, the river that's flowing in Revelation 22 is coming from the throne of God itself. You've got the 12 fruit trees on either side of the river bearing fruit each month of the season. And it says that same phrase that this would be used for the healing. Uh, and so a lot of this imagery, I mean, it's just very... Revelation borrows a lot of its imagery from the Old Testament, and I think it's borrowing it from here. Revelation 22 is a undisputed picture of heaven. There's no debating that one. So at least in this passage, it seems to be indicating something bigger than what they would currently experience when they go back. Uh, Something that has not happened yet. Something that has not (laughs) happened, yes. Uh, I have not seen any, any trees that bear fruit every month of the year. Um, so Don't know much about trees, but... Me neither. (laughs) I recently found out that figs bear fruit twice a year. It's pretty cool. (laughs) But one of the other things that stuck to me kind of in in light of this, the the whole summary of the city uh, that is representative of God's presence is that it's called the Lord is there, which if you haven't following God's whole story, 
that's been the goal the whole way is Eden was a place that the Lord was there that was broken. And this entire story, this entire plan has been restoring that relationship, that connection, that togetherness between human beings and God. So uh, the culmination of this vision is what history is pointing towards, what history is moving towards. So that's good news. It's good news for the guys sitting in exile in Babylon, looking to physically go back to the land, but this is good news for us. It's good news for us today that uh, what we see happening in the world today is not the end, that we are going to something uh, much better, a place where the Lord is there. Um, something that stuck out to me, uh, we jump into Second Kings and Jeremiah 52 at the end of today's reading, and the heading in our Bible says, Hope for Israel's Royal Lion. It talks about King Jehoiachin being released from prison um, under the rule of the new king of Babylon. Um, I will say his name if I have to, but I... I Starts don't. with evil. <laughs> evil Muradak. <laughs> anyway. Um, don't name your, your kid evil. <laughs> is that a good baby name? No. <laughs> Uh, but this is, it says hope for Israel's royal line. And then you go into Matthew and we talked about our genealogies a couple of days ago, but I love genealogies. I think they're really cool. But King Jehoiachin is one of, um, is in Jesus's line of ancestors. So we see right here in second Kings and Jeremiah 52, that this is how the royal line was sustained. And out of that royal line comes Jesus someday. It's really cool. Also, not only is the royal line just sustained, the royal line is like exceptionally cared for. Yes. He ends up being like his favorite. It's kind of weird. Like it talks about Kings, like they're like birds in a cage, which actually the Bible actually talks about birds in a cage a lot, <laughs> but it, it, it's like sort of weird. Like it, it's like, Oh, and he was his favorite captured King. Yeah. He got a regular, he got <laughs> Out a of all the captured Kings, you're the best. He was, he was walking down to his cage saying hi all the time. <laughs> got a regular food allowance though. But it's like, not Can't only complain. was he just like, not only was he just allowed to exist, he was actually like exceptionally cared for by his Babylonian captors, which is not normal. Yeah, which I'm trying to remember, and I probably shouldn't try and remember on the podcast while we're recording, but um, I'm trying to remember if King Jehoiachin's uh, descendants were killed when he was captured. I don't remember, but I'm a, if but he had descendants because he, yeah, was he came from Zedekiah survived. Zedekiah without eyes, right? <laughs> Zedekiah yes. had yeah. his his, eyes his children were. Killed, killed in front of him. Eyes. So maybe King Jehoiachin. I think that's the one you're thinking of. Okay, that's what... Yeah, how could that, I forget? That would, we read that, that four that times. Yeah. We did read that four times. It's <laughs> <laughs> quite traumatic. It's a dark packet passage. <laughs> um, and then the other thing, I don't know, Ryan, if you want to talk about this, but King Nebuchadnezzar uh, getting a reward. <laughs> I, I think actually King Nebuchadnezzar has become one of my favorite characters in the Bible because there's so much about him that contradicts what you would assume to be true. So here we have um, God rewarding King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, this is the guy that built the the gold statue and made people worship it. This is the guy that wrote the law that said everybody must worship this idol. This is the fiery furnace guy. This is the fiery furnace guy. Here we have God saying, you know what? I am rewarding you for your hard work in battle against <laughs> the Egyptians. Uh, right, Egyptians, correct? Yeah, well, he fought hard for the city of Tyre. Oh, he fought against Tyre. He's being rewarded for... And Yep. So that is a direct connection to one of the earlier passages that we've read on God's whole story, where God is proclaiming, like, Tyre, you are not going to be as prosperous as what you think. Yep. So King Nebuchadnezzar fulfills one of God's, I mean, many of God's prophecies, Yeah. one of God's prophecies. So he's, he's actually given Egypt as a present. <laughs> I wonder if King Nebuchadnezzar knew. Like, I don't know. Like At this point, because it comes, in this reading, it comes after what we would say maybe King Nebuchadnezzar had a conversion. Um, and I don't know. Well, an hmm. interesting thing is my in my mind is that if you are... Like, say you were part of the kingdom of Judah and you've been carried off into exile. What is your perception of Nebuchadnezzar? 
Not that he's a good guy. Right. Right? Like, do you even entertain that thought at that time? Like, well, maybe maybe God's working in Nebuchadnezzar. No, you're not. Because Nebuchadnezzar's been your enemy for a mm-hmm. long time. He helped to destroy the temple. He helped to destroy the palace. And God's like, actually, I'm pretty into this guy. Like, he <laughs> seems like a good guy. Which takes me back to what we said about Daniel the other day. Just that, like, Daniel had a heart for this guy who, at that point, did not love the Lord. And he did some awful things. I don't know. Uh, I... To me, reading over the way that God has worked in Nebuchadnezzar's life, it challenges the way that I see the world. Hmm. Because it's like, maybe God is doing things that I, in my mind, just really don't allow to be possible in my mind. Because I don't think they would have allowed that Nebuchadnezzar would be Hmm. favored by God. That is like the perfect segue into the passages tomorrow. Okay, so we should end right here. See you tomorrow. Guys, thanks so much for listening to God's Whole Story. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye. Ezekiel 47, starting in verse 1. In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet, and then he led me across. The water was up to my ankles. He measured off another 1,750 feet and led me across again. This time the water was up to my knees. After another 1,750 feet, it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. He asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back along the riverbank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, the river flows east through the desert of the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish whenever this water flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea, all the way from Engedi to Engelim. The shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea just as they fill the Mediterranean. But the marshes and swamps will not be purified. They will still be salty. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall. There will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, Divide the land in this way for the twelve tribes of Israel. Descendants of Joseph will be given two shares of land. Otherwise, each tribe will receive an equal share. I took a solemn oath and swore I would give this land to your ancestors and now... And it will now come to you as your possession. These are the boundaries of the land. The northern border will run from the Mediterranean towards Hethlon, then on through Labo Hamath to Zidad. Then it will run to Berotham and Shebarim, which are on the borders between Damascus and Hamath, and finally to Hazir Hetiakan, on the border of Harun. The northern border will run from the Mediterranean to Hazirian, on the border between Hamath to the north and Damascus to the south. The eastern border starts at a point between Haran and Damascus and runs along the Jordan River between Israel and Gilead, past the Dead Sea. As far south as Tamar, this will be the eastern border. The southern border will go west from Tamar to the waters of Meribah at Kadesh and then follow the course of the Brook of Egypt to the Mediterranean. This will be the southern border. On the west side, the Mediterranean itself will be your border from the southern border to the point where the northern border begins opposite Labo Hamath. 
Divide the land within these boundaries among the tribes of Israel. Distribute the land as an allotment for yourselves and for foreigners who have joined you and are raising their families among you. They will be like native-born Israelites to you and receive an allotment among the tribes. These are foreigners are to be given land within the territory of the tribe with whom they now live. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Here is the list of the tribes of Israel and the territory each is to receive. The territory of Dan is in the extreme north. Its boundary line follow the Hilath road to Labo Hamath and then runs on to Hazeron on the border of Damascus with Hamath to the north. Dan's territory extends all the way across the land of Israel from east to west. Asher's territory lies south of Dan's and also extends from east to west. Naphtali's land lies south of Asher's, also extending from east to west. Then comes Manasseh, south of Naphtali, and its territory also extends from east to west. South of Manasseh is Ephraim, and then Reuben, and then Judah, all whose boundaries extend from east to west. South of Judah is the land set aside for a special purpose. It will be eight and one-third miles wide and will extend as far east and west as the tribal territories within the temple at the center. The area set aside for the Lord's temple will be eight and a third miles long and two and two-thirds miles wide. For the priests, there will be a strip of land measuring eight and one-third miles long by three and one-third miles wide, with the Lord's temple at the center. This area is set aside for the ordained priests, the descendants of Zadok, who served me faithfully and did not go astray with the people of Israel and the rest of the Levites. It will be their special portion when the land is distributed, the most sacred land of all. Next to the priest's territory will lie the land where the other Levites will live. The land allotted to the Levites will be the same size and shape as that belonging to the priest, eight and one-third miles long and three and one-third miles wide. Together, these portions of land will measure eight and one-third miles long by six and two-third miles wide. None of this special land may ever be sold or traded or used by others, for it belongs to the Lord. It is set apart as holy. An additional strip of land, eight and one-third miles long by one and two-third miles wide, south of the sacred temple area, will be allotted for public use. Homes, pasture lands, and common lands with a city at the center. The city will measure one and a half miles on each side, north, south, east, and west. Open lands will surround the city for 150 yards in every direction. Outside the city, there will be a farming area that stretches three and one-third miles to the east and three and one-third miles to the west, along the border of the sacred area. This farmland will produce food for the people working in the city. Those who come from the various tribes to work in the city may farm it. This entire area, including the sacred lands and the city, is square, is a square that measures eight and one-third miles on each side. The area that remains to the east and to the west of the sacred lands and the city will belong to the prince. Each of these areas will be eight and one-third miles wide, extending in the opposite direction to the eastern and western borders of Israel, with the sacred lands and the sanctuary of the temple in the center. So the prince's land will include everything between the territories allotted to Judah and Benjamin, except for the areas set aside for the sacred lands in the city. These are the territories allotted to the rest of the tribes. Benjamin's territory lies just south of the prince's lands and extends across the entire land of Israel from east to west. South of Benjamin's territory lies that of Simeon, also extending across the land from east to west. Next is the territory of Issachar with the same eastern and western boundaries. Then comes the territory of Zebulun, which also extends across the land from east to west. The territory of Gad is just south of Zebulun with the same borders to the east and the west. The southern border of Gad runs from Tamar to the waters of Meribah at Kadesh and then follows the brook of Egypt to the Mediterranean. These are the allotments that will be set aside for each tribe's exclusive possession. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. These will be the exits to the city. On the north wall, which is one and a half miles long, there will be three gates, each one named after a tribe of Israel. The first will be named for Reuben, the second for Judah, the third for Levi. On the east wall, I will, 
uh, also one and a half miles long. The gates will be named for Joseph, Benjamin, and Dan. The south wall, also one and a half miles long, will have gates named for Simeon, Issachar, and Zebulun. And on the west wall, also one and a half miles long, the gates will be named for Gad, Asher, and Naphtali. The distance around the entire city will be six miles, and from that day, the name of the city will be The Lord is There. Ezekiel 29, starting in verse 17. On April 26th, the first day of the new year, during the 27th year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the me- this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, the army of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon fought so hard against Tyre that the warriors' heads were rubbed bare and their shoulders were raw and blistered. Yet Nebuchadnezzar and his army won no plunder to compensate them for all their work. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He will carry off its wealth, plundering everything it has so he can pay his army. Yes, I have given him the land of Egypt as a reward for his work, says the Sovereign Lord, because he was working for me when he destroyed Tyre. And the day will come when I will cause the ancient glory of Israel to revive. And then, Ezekiel, your words will be respected. Then they will know that I am the Lord. This is another message that came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy and give this message from the Sovereign Lord. Weep and wail for that day, for the terrible day is almost here, the day of the Lord. It is a day of clouds and gloom, a day of despair for the nations. A sword will come against Egypt, and those who are slaughtered will cover the ground. Its wealth will be carried away, and its foundations destroyed. The land of Ethiopia will be ravished. Ethiopia, Libya, Lydia, all Arabia, and all their other allies will be destroyed in that war. For this is what the Lord says, All of Egypt's allies will fall, and the pride of her power will end. From Migdal to Aswan, they will be slaughtered by the sword, says the Sovereign Lord. Egypt will be desolate, surrounded by desolate nations, and its cities will be in ruins, surrounded by other ruined cities. And the people of Egypt will know that I am the Lord when I have set Egypt on fire and destroyed all their allies. At that time, I will send swift messengers in ships to terrify the complacent Ethiopians. Great panic will come upon them on that day of Egypt's certain destruction. Watch for it. It's sure to come. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says. By the power of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, I will destroy the hordes of Egypt. He and his armies, the most ruthless of all, will be sent to demolish the land. They will make war against Egypt until slaughtered Egyptians cover the ground. I will dry up the Nile River and sell the land to wicked men. I will destroy the land of Egypt and everything in it by the hands of foreigners. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will smash the idols of Egypt and the images at Memphis. There will be no rulers left in Egypt. Terror will sweep the land. I will destroy southern Egypt, set fire to Zon, and will bring judgment against Thebes. I will pour out my fury at Pelsium and the strongest fortress of Egypt, and I will stamp out the hordes at Thebes. Yes, I will set fire to all of Egypt. Pelsium will be racked with pain. Thebes will be torn apart. Memphis will live in constant terror. The young men of Helopolis and Bobastus will die in battle, and the women will be taken away as slaves. When I come to break the proud strength of Egypt, I w- it will be a dark day for Taphanes too. A dark cloud will cover Taphanes, and its daughters will be led away as captives. And so I will greatly punish Egypt, and they will know that I am the Lord. Second Kings 25, starting in verse 27. In the thirty-seventh year of the exile of King Jehoiachin of Judah, evil Merodach ascended to the Babylonian throne. He was kind to Jehoiachin and released him from prison. On April 2nd of that year, he spoke kindly to Jehoiachin and gave him a higher place than all the other exiled kings in Babylon. 
He supplied Jehoiachin with new clothes to replace his prison garb and allowed him to dine in the king's presence for the rest of his life. So the king gave him a regular food allowance as long as he lived. Jeremiah 52, starting in verse 31. In the 37th year of the exile of King Jehoiachin of Judah, uh, Ilvermerodach ascended to the Babylonian throne. He was kind to Jehoiachin and released him from prison on March 31st of that year. He spoke kindly to Jehoiachin and gave him a higher place than all the other exiled kings in Babylon. He supplied Jehoiachin with new clothes to replace his prison garb and allowed him to dine in the king's presence for the rest of his life. So the Babylonian king gave him a regular food allowance as long as he lived. This continued until the day of his death. Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, It means a lot to us even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, If you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, We would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, You can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcasts at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you. And if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.